Hey everyone, Mark and Steve here. Before we get started today, we want to let you know about Dare to Connect, our new online interactive video platform. For less than the cost of a therapy session, you and your spouse get live access to both of us three times a week. Each 30-minute live group support session provides interactive mentoring and healing for addicts, spouses, and couples. If you're loving our podcast and our unique style of bringing you recovery, you're going to love Dare to Connect. To learn more, go to daretoconnectnow.com. We're looking forward to seeing and working with you. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey, everybody, Mark and Steve on the PBSC podcast. We had a PBSC listener write in to us and wanted to summarize her situation and then dig in and see if we can answer it. So she's been married 31 years. And short of the last three to five years, there's been a lot of abuse in the marriage, verbal, psychological, spiritual, financial, even threatened physical by her mm. husband. Uh, they've got four adult daughters at this point. They were also verbally abused while they were growing up. Uh, at this point, they've been in couples therapy for about eight, eight years, and they both have had uh, individual therapists. Uh, so she's had a lot of help with her, her uh, betrayal trauma and PTSD, and he's had help with his stuff. Um, all along the way, he denied ever being involved with pornography. And then March of this year, he admitted that he had been uh, for about half their marriage. Mm, and he says yeah. that his porn use stopped about 10 or 12 years ago. Um, but he had always hidden it the years that he was using. I think she said about the year six of their marriage, he started using it. Uh, and then it went on for uh, I guess probably a couple decades, I would, uh, sounds like. Um, and as part of this, he, he's now said to her that, you know, all those years that I used porn, if you had just, you know, given me more sex, I wouldn't have had the need to go to pornography. Oh, you don't ever want to bring that up with, with me and Steve, <laughs> unless you want to get uh, a couple of day workshop about why that's absolute nonsense. We're not going to address that issue in this podcast. Actually, we did a podcast last year. It was called, should I have daily sex with my husband so he can recover? We would refer you to that uh, podcast episode 83. If you want to get more on this whole thing of, you know, I go to porn because you don't give me enough, enough sex. So go listen to episode 83 if you want to uh, have more on that. But her question, the question that she clearly um, asked us is, um, she says, um, my question is, it has to do with his recovery work. When he mm -hmm. stopped using porn, 
It wasn't because he wanted to. Says he developed severe erectile dysfunction. And in his words, quote, it didn't work anymore, so he quit doing it. <laughs> right? mm, it was, okay. He was apparently not getting much out of looking at porn because he had ED. And she says, this was also something my daughters and I paid the price for because that made him incredibly angry. So apparently his ED, when that developed you know, years ago, he became very angry and moody about that. Uh, however, due to several years of couples counseling, and especially because he has educated himself so much about the effects of porn, he's gratefully no longer uses it and swears he knows so much about it that he could never go back. However, since he didn't do any recovery work when he quit, in other words, he quit because of erectile dysfunction and other things, but he never did formal recovery work. We would like to know what would be appropriate work for him to do at this point. So this is like, 10 or 12 years since he's used porn. So now what? Mm, okay. um, they say, thanks to our couples therapy, the abuse has stopped and he has taken responsibility for it, but we are unsure of what work he needs to do regarding the porn addiction that lasted for years. He has successfully worked the 12 steps in the past because he was also an alcoholic. He's not had a drink for 18 years. He does individual work every day to work on his integrity and character, reads self-help books, listens to numerous podcasts. But we are unsure of what else he should be doing since it's been over a decade since he quit using porn. Mm. That's a pretty good job. Uh, Mark Mark had to massively paraphrase. This This email was almost two pages, single space long. So there was, there was quite yeah, a bit. There, there was a lot. There was <laughs> um, a lot. And a couple of things just to add to there real quick as I was following along with him. So uh, one thing is that uh, the wife reports that this husband, even though he has kind of backed off a little bit from blaming her at times, especially after listening to podcasts like like Mark and I's, um, but he's still every couple of weeks, I guess, you know, that kind of will come up like this wouldn't have happened more or less, you know, if, you know, this, you know, if you've been giving me more sex. And also the other piece with regard to the uh, emotional kind of outbursting and the emotional instability, he talks about that, not just. Uh, that also being tied with, he would oftentimes take out his rage and shame on the kids and on his wife after acting out. Yes. So it wasn't just like around the sobriety and other things. It was also, you know, after the acting out, which Mark and I can both totally relate to. It was ironic, you know, Mark and I, like many addicts, I know myself, for example, I would, you know, be feeling a lot of negative emotions. I would go act out as a way to cope. And ironically, that coping made me even more angry. Yes. Right. Um, so yep, kind of caused totally more of true. the same. So lots to cover with this, right? <laughs> um, and so here we are looking at, you know, we, we obviously referred you guys to episode 83 for the other component, but what do we do today? You know, as we were talking about this and getting ready for this, the one thought came to mind and we want to say, we're going to introduce this right out the gate because this is a maybe, maybe not depending on the situation, right? We, this is obviously a podcast. This is not individual therapy. We don't know. We know very little about this couple's background, but as I was listening to this, the, the idea came to mind is that there may be a potential benefit for having a formal disclosure for this couple. Now, for those of you who don't know, a formal disclosure is essentially a process that is facilitated by a therapist where you go through and essentially disclose, like the name implies, right? Um, a person's essentially entire sexual history of acting out uh, behaviors, both things that have been shared or disclosed before and things that have not. There are lots of reasons why we do a disclosure, and we don't have time to talk about all the reasons why here today, but the long and short of it is, is we typically do that 
uh, usually guided by a spouse because the main purpose behind it is to, you know, among other things, is to kind of compile all the information about an addictive past into one single session where it's all discussed clearly and transparently without the gaslighting, minimizing, omission, all the other stuff that typically is, you know, uh, typical with with addict behavior. And so it's it's designed to get a coupleship kind of on the same page. Uh, also go through, there's oftentimes an amends component to it, as well as an opportunity for a wife to ask questions, provide a victim impact statement. It's really kind of an opportunity, one of those big steps that we, many people take in the recovery process to kind of get into a, you know, a marriage 2.0 kind of a setting, you know, as well, we and if forward. you, uh, we did a podcast earlier this year, I think it's, I'm showing it as episode 108. Oh, perfect. Called as a spouse, you have four primary rights with regard to his disclosure. Mm. So we would, uh, we'd refer you to episode 108 if you want more about disclosure, awesome. but you're right, Steve, you know, so many times we see, you know, as with this guy and, and other situations, <clears throat> sometimes acting out sort of fades away for various reasons, you know, mm-hmm. erectile dysfunction. Um, he just loses interest. I mean, there are just different ways that it just sort of, you know, goes into the background, but there was never a formal disclosure about, about what really happened all those years. Yes. And that's why these things can kind of linger on, you know, year after year and never come to a place of, reconciliation because there was never everything put out on the table. Mm. And we would highly recommend that, uh, you know, this couple and others, if there hasn't been a formal disclosure, that you really seriously look at that. And Steve, what you call a modified disclosure, which is not just about the pornography or sexually acting out, but also all of his abusive behaviors over those decades of marriage, all the ways that she describes that he abused her and her and the daughter's that should could be a part of disclosure as well. What did he do? Why did he do it? What was behind it? Right. Getting all that out on the table as well. Absolutely. And you have to be really careful with that. A formal disclosure, we want to really press home. You need to have a qualified specialist who navigates that process with you. Do not do a disclosure alone as a couple. There are many, 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 many ways in which that can really cause serious damage to a relationship. And especially when we're talking about this kind of modified version, it does take a pretty light touch to be able to do that on multiple subjects without essentially, among other potential risks, you know, one behavior kind of being used without even intending to in the disclosure as kind of an excuse for the other. So there's a, there's a process for that, but that, and it may not even be appropriate for this couple, depending on other circumstances, but we would say definitely consider it. Um, because, you know, time does heal wounds to a degree, but again, you know, as we look at the, the, you know, the recentness of, of this new information, even though it may have been X, you know, what did you say? 10, 12 years since he's accessed pornography. Mm -hmm. The the fact that she's known about it since March means that that trauma is fresh, still fresh. And there's, and there's lots of unknowns and, and it's going to impact all of the other past history she has with trauma. And so, uh, there may be some real benefits to that. And we'll talk about some of the, at the end of this here in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about some of the key indicators of of what somebody in, in true recovery is going to be able to do. But before we do that, uh, you know, I guess we wanted to kind of shift gears away from this formal disclosure for a minute and, t- and talk a little bit about, talk a little bit, I guess, to the addict, right? Even though this was, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Obviously, this this gentleman has struggled by this wife's account with not just you know, sexual compulsion, but also alcoholism, possibly other things as well. 
And so I, I think an important kind of shift in gears here, but to talk about is if we were to, if I was to sit down with this guy, if Mark was to sit down with this guy, one of the things we'd probably first ask him would be, you know, why are you in this? Right? Sure. You're sober now, or you want to be sober, right? Which is great. And that's awesome. There's, and that's what we're obviously going for. But, but what else do you see for yourself and why? Right. Mark talked a little bit about how, you know, the acting out had kind of faded away as the sexual desire had right re- reduced. And then in of itself is not a bad thing, you know, but but real recovery versus an absence of acting out are not the same. Right. And one of the things that Mark and I talk about all the time on this podcast is that conservatively speaking, 95 percent of the time. Acting out behavior is the symptom of bigger problems, not the standalone problem itself, right? And so that's yeah. immediately where we would go, right? Is that component, you know, what was the what were the origins of this? Yeah, and if, you know, we have to be very careful as we talk about recovery is, you know, why are you in recovery? If it's just to get sober so you can say you are, and it would be very easy for this guy to say, hey, it's been, it's been 10 or 12 years since I acted out, so get off my back. Yes, Right. But, but all of the underlying issues, right. Are you in recovery because you realize recovery is about identifying the symptom, which is the acting out, but then being willing to get under the symptoms to the deep core issues. And do you, are you really open, willing, courageous enough to go? I want to get to the deep stuff here, Mm -hmm. right? That was just a surface thing. What about all the abuse? What about all of the ways that my behaviors and all the things that I was, you know, I was doing to my spouse and and my daughters, what is that about? Mm -hmm. I want to unravel that. I want to peel back the layers on that. I'm, I'm ready and willing to do that, that deep, hard work, right? We want to be sober, but what else, you know, and, and Steve, as you and I look at that personally, you know, there were so many things for us, Oh yeah. Um, right. It was, it was about having an intimate, connected marriage relationship um, for me. And I know for you too, it was about getting, getting out of this shame cycle. We live in so much shame, learning how to identify that and, and, and grow through and, and beyond that, learning to love yourself, um, being able to focus on, you know, goals in life, you know, a profession, mm-hmm. a career, a direction. Uh, you know, developing self-confidence. There's so many, so many issues that are well beyond just being sober. Yeah. Right? Becoming the best version of me, right? Being willing to look at all these other character defects and character, you know, character issues and, and, and am I willing to identify and begin to work on them and, and grow through them? Yeah. No, completely, completely agree. And, and, you know, there's, there obviously is, we're coming at this kind of from multiple directions, right? We're obviously answering a spouse's questions here, but, but as we, you know, address some of the addicts who may be listening, right? It, this so often comes back to this vision component that we talk about in recovery. This process, this process of healing, this journey of healing is so hard. It's so hard. There's so much involved. It's like there, the hardest thing you'll ever do. The, it, it's, it, there is so much involved and so much work. One addict to an, or a couple of addicts to anyone listening, it's, it, the motivations have to be, you have, your motivations have to extend beyond doing this for a wife or a spouse or church or God or whatever, right? There has to be a bigger vision we have found, you know, where you're able to recognize, look at when, what ways can this benefit all these other areas, right? Of my life. And, and let's, let's kind of like talk about some of those, Mark, we, you and I were talking about this before, 
let's talk about, about some of the benefits to recovery. It's so much more than, than just repairing things with your spouse or making it better. I mean, for me, I'll kick off the list. One of the things that, uh, and this is essential in mine and yours, yours job, is that recovery has greatly empowered me to be able to uh, help help me with my my skill set in confronting people, mm. right, in in healthy ways. Before, as an addict, because I had such low self esteem and self worth, when I would try to confront people, and this probably sounds familiar to many of you, I would do one of two things. One is I wouldn't say anything, and I'd, I'd resent the hell out of the other person, and just be pissed all the time because I had stuff to say but wouldn't say it, or I would oscillate to the other extreme and completely blow up at them, go completely off the handle, let all of my other emotional reactivity come out and sabotage any positive result of what confrontation could have brought about. Yeah. <laughs> and not to doubt, I would put that at the top of my list. You know, I thought an early recovery was just about stopping looking at porn and, and going to sexual outlets and touching myself. If I could just eliminate that from my life, I was good to go. Mm-hmm. When I got good, solid sobriety, this whole world of things to work on opened up and I'm like, oh crap, what's all this stuff? <laughs> I thought I was good to go because I'm sober. And one of the biggest ones, like you say, was confrontation. I hated confrontation. I would, I would rather die than, than engage in confrontation. And so, you know, as they say, what else is there for us to do? This is one of the primary ones. Can you get into a space and stand toe to toe with another human being and receive their confrontation towards you and you be able to confront them in healthy ways. Yeah. Can we, can we be eyeball to eyeball and speak our truth and be authentic and be vulnerable without going to a place of defensiveness or anger or fear or shutting down or isolating or whatever, right? Can we, can we, can we be toe to toe as human beings to engage in healthy confrontation? That was a huge, huge thing that I never thought that I could gain through this process. Yeah, no, so many benefits. I mean, and and there are too many to list, but we could kind of go through the list quick. I mean, there's the negative self-dialogue, right? Most most of us addicts, we have that negative kind of recording playing in the background, just almost subconsciously. Horrible (laughs) self-talk, like horrible self-talk. I had a therapist I worked with years ago. We kind of traded services and he said, Mark, you're a pretty compassionate, pretty wonderful guy when it comes to other people. But when it comes to you, you're a rotten SOB. Yeah. <laughs> and he was so right. He's like, you're a, you're a little Nazi to yourself, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, we can, we can, right. We, that negative self-talk is present all the time. You know, being another big one, you know, the being able to be fully present to really feel stuff. Mm. I remember the first time in recovery, I felt something negative, but in a non-shame-based way. That may sound weird to anybody but an addict. And to be able to just feel sadness, but not have it attached to something, like negative self-view or something, just to really feel sadness, un- unclouded sadness, what a gift. Yeah, to, to feel raw emotion without taking them personal and immediately them being autobiographical. It's just, okay, I feel sad today. I'm just going to kind of sit in my sadness and see what that's about. Yeah. Right. This concept of emotional resiliency. Yes. Instead of immediately having having to defend or, you know, or or rage or 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 run away and disappear and isolate and close down. Can I just feel? I didn't know yeah. what that was till I got in really solid recovery. When reduced reactivity, you know, we we oftentimes talk about this reduced act reactivity component, this 
you know, we, we, uh, one, I remember a while back, we actually did a, an episode on our dare to connect program. You know, we, we offering a two week free trial right now, as many of you know, for our dare to connect program for addicts, spouses, and couples meets three times a week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, fully interactive kind of version of the podcast, but we take it to new levels. We're introducing new features to that here pretty quick. I'd love to have you guys come check that out. You can learn more about that at dare to connect now.com. But we talk about this concept, you know, all the time of taking off the fireman hat and putting on the architect hat, mm. which I swear I spent 20 something years literally just with a fireman's hat glued to my head, just running from one chaotic, either internal or external situation that had caused to the next, right? Just trying <laughs> yeah. to, you're just living, you're like living to survive another day. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes, versus putting that down and putting on the architect hat to basically like where we are going, right? And cultivating mm-hmm. a vision. You know? Yep, the designer of my own destiny. How do, totally. how do how do we do that? That's another great thing that's come to us. And and this and this other one is kind of along the lines of what we already said, but specifically becoming less defensive. Yes, right. A decreased need to be adversarial in every every interaction to to need to be right because my self esteem and worth is based on whether I'm right or not. Yeah, and boy, getting to a place where I, I people could say difficult things to me, and I I found my I felt myself getting better at not immediately putting up walls, where I could just sort of lean in with them and be genuinely curious, even when they were saying hard stuff, such a huge part of recovery and healthy living. Yeah, absolutely. We could go on and on with those. I know we've got to, we've got to wrap up, but we, we mentioned earlier in the podcast that we would, we would go through some quick key indicators of recovery. Okay. And these are really important because this is kind of a, a good litmus test to really gauge kind of the depth of actual recovery and true healing versus an absence of acting out. Cause like we indicated at the beginning, you know, they, they're definitely not the same thing. So we'll just, we'll run through these real quick. Yeah. You may have 10 or 12 years of not going to porn or acting out, yeah. but, but here's the litmus test. These next bullets we're going to give you, where are you really not just yes. that you haven't done something, but what are, but what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so number one, and this is, these are just, like I said, a series of questions to, for addicts to be asking themselves and, and for you spouses listening, these are good ones to keep in mind as you're involved with your partner. You know, question, serious questions. One, uh, what are the origins of my addiction? Mm. How did I first become involved and why? Yes. Right. So we should have an understanding, right? A good, a guy in solid recovery is going to have a solid understanding of where did this come from? If I, you know, if I'm looking beyond the behavior, what are the origins of it? Is it trauma and what kind, right? Are, are these things that I learned from my parents and who taught them to me? Right. How did I first pick up these behaviors and, and where and why? Right. And if you find yourself immediately defaulting to this day, as in this, as in this gal that wrote in, well, if you'd have had enough sex with me, I wouldn't have had this problem. If that's where you find your brain taking you, you have a lot of work to do on these yes. origins. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Um, so number two, right? How did my addiction impact those around me, particularly my spouse and children? Mm. Again, a guy who's practicing positive self-awareness and really has a control of his shame will be able to wade into conversations with the spouse and with their and with their kids. I talked about this on Dare to Connect this morning. I shared an in-depth story we won't share here for sake of time about how I had a situation with my wife this weekend where, you know, eight years into sobriety and good recovery, she was feeling triggered. If I'm in good a good recovery space, my wife being triggered should not shove me over the edge or push me into automatic defensiveness 
or be, you know, taking me down some sort of toxic path. I should be able to wade into that with her. Right. Yep. 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 Another one. Have I made, have I made a thorough amends to each of the people that were impacted by my behaviors? Yes. Right. What have I done? You know, what am I doing with regard in regard to that now? Uh, have I been through reconciliation? Have I, have I proactively been leading out in changing my behaviors as we're moving forward as a way to show that I'm really serious and sorry about what's happened and, and I'm changing my actions today and moving forward the whole ends process. Absolutely. Yeah. You absolutely should have a, have a handle on that, on that piece and that should be happening or have already been happened. Uh, Next one. What have I done to rectify these behaviors and make changes in my life for sobriety and healthy living? Mm. So in other words, what active things have I done? Right. What safeguards have I have I set up or take or or put in place over time in the past as I look back? Where have I actually met this addiction head on and combated it? Right. Fought it, um, et cetera. And and the behaviors under the addiction, right? Am I, yes. am I still defensive today? Do I still go into my moodiness? Do I isolate? Do I get angry? Do I blame? Right. What am I doing to address those deeper issues and show in my actual current behaviors? that I'm seeking to change. I'm engaging in healthy living and healthy relationships and connection. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then the last one, we'll wrap up here because I know we're, we're getting over time. You know, what am I doing today, right? To ensure that these behaviors do not return. Mm. Recovery does not look like on year eight or your sobriety year eight does not look the same as your sobriety year one. And that's okay. And it should be that way. It should evolve. Life should become more sustainable. We don't always have to work as on top of a program for the rest of our lives. And that's one of the benefits of recovery. But we should always have something in place, right? If I am truly engaging in a healthy lifestyle, that involves some sort of proactivity, emotional proactivity. High-functioning people, for example, whether they are addicts or not, journal. Jeff Bezos, journals right? Bill Gates, journals. These people create visions. They set goals. They achieve those goals. They're accountable to somebody. They're transparent with those things, right? Those are all things that healthy, high-functioning people will be doing, including, and especially those of us who have struggled with addiction in the past because our our behaviors tend to default to the opposite. Yeah. So that yeah. there you go, guys. There's kind of the list. And, and I think the assignment as we just wrap up here, Mark, tell me if you want to add anything, would be to, as a couple, I think individually first sit down and ask yourself either for yourself or your spouse, are these, are these things happening? And if applicable and appropriate, this could be a really cool conversation between two spouses is to go through this together. Yes. Right. What, how has this, you know, what are our answers to these? And if we can't answer these completely or fully, that's not the end of the world, but it, it is a really good way to kind of put yourself in, in check in a healthy way and say, all right, why? Well, here are some things to work on here, some things to target. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, go back, listen to this, to this together, take notes, write down all these bullet points, and then go over each one and say, where are we? Absolutely. Where would where would we like to be? Sure. Right? What am I willing to do? Yeah, I love, love it. it. Love it. All right, everybody. Yeah, great to be with you. Thank, uh, thank you for all of the things you send into us and, you know, keep communicating. And as Steve said, we would love, love, love to see uh, all of you over at uh, Dare to Connect Now. Um, yeah, that would be great. You can find us over there at daretoconnectnow.com. For those of us, for those of you who have questions to submit in the future, 
You can also, there's a contact form at the bottom of the page at pbscpodcast.com where you can send in questions for the podcast that we can address in future episodes. Sounds great. All right. See you next time on PBSE. Have a great week, guys. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.